Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and I am so excited about today's podcast because I have my good friend, Jeremiah, here with me. So we're actually not even going to do much intro or anything. We're going to jump right into it because you guys are going to love what he's doing, and uh, this is exciting. So, Jeremiah, dude, thanks for coming out. Yeah, man. man this is awesome. Yeah. You're writing a book, so you're out here. We got to hang out last night, yeah. and I got to have you in today. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. So we met a little while ago. I did some coaching with you. Um, geez, how long has that been now? A couple years at least. It has been. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, you were already doing awesome stuff, and you were killing it in self-storage. Uh, but why don't you get you give people a little bit of background about you and kind of talk about, you know, what got you into self-storage to begin with mm-hmm. and what you're doing now? Because we, we got a lot of stuff to, to jump into. It's yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Great to, to be here in person with you. So, uh, I met you at a, a pivotal time. So, so I originally, I, I got into manufactured housing. So I went through the whole buy houses. Uh, I grew up in, in Vegas uh, as a teenager. So I, I quit college, started buying houses, did the whole flip game. And uh, 2008 crashed, 2007 got crushed, you know, had a foreclosure, uh, just got wiped out, you know, typical, lived on my buddy's couch, just had to, to start fresh. You know, I'm 40 now, so I was in my mid-20s and, uh, and and really learned the hard way through the first crash and, and pivoted over to, to manufactured housing. I saw there was a niche in the market. I liked the space in the sense that uh, at the time, it was pretty premature in the industry, and, and now it's you know it's, it's through the roof. Like it, it's yeah. the flavor of the month in terms of alternative assets. So I, I learned the whole manufactured housing game and, and teamed up with uh, uh, someone similar to you that uh, was somewhat of a mentor, helped build this fund up, uh, bought my own deals, did a nice big roll up in 2019, took some cash on the table, but really the the management side and the amount of staff and the hands-on attention to the asset class wore me down yeah that that was the killer for me in in 2016 or 2015 i started to get into storage and i thought you know i I wasn't sold on the asset class i wasn't really uh at the time i was like ah this people's stuff and you know it's just junk and they don't really need it you know so i'm gonna stick to affordable housing yeah and over time i I just it, it wore me down so I I did similar to what you did. So for, in my my original home state of New Hampshire, where my dad lives, I started looking at some small deals in some of the the suburban or, or more rural towns, and started seeing some some opportunities to get in light, do some creative financing yeah. under the radar of the big guys, yes. and then yep. bought a couple of these small facilities that were performing unbelievably. Yeah, yeah, and and de de risked where my dad saw like he's like hey that's crazy you're going out there you're buying stuff in little hinsdale new hampshire and i'm out there and, and it's cash flowing well i doubled yes. the value not a lot of hands-on management yep. and uh, i thought you know there's something to this so uh, at that time i started to get more and more excited and allocating more resources to to build in the storage portfolio and, and when i read your book and i'm not just trying to plug it because it's you here yeah. but i mean uh, before <laughs> i even knew you or anything i said this guy the way he outlined that storage is a retail business and that you treat it that way and in these alternative markets in these tertiary rule you know out of out of core markets you know they're underserved in terms of there's not a lot of product it's all garbage horrible customer 
customer service. There's a lot of demand. And then, you know, with COVID, it, it's gone through the roof with all yeah. the demand we have. And I thought, well, I'm already doing this. This guy just labeled it in a way where I got now, you know, through, through certain strategic relationships, I got a good operating partner. It's like I can see how I could scale this and really add a lot of value to these properties. And at the same time, not still have all the capital expenditures of rebuilding a 50-year-old park yep. or, or tearing out an old trailer, being a mobile home dealer, bringing in the brand new home, selling it to an unqualified buyer. That was a whole business. I was tired of that business. Done. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm still in that business heavy and I, I you know, I cherish pick deals and I'm but I'm very particular what I'm buying but storage I can see the scale right and yeah. I can see the, the predictability the dependability and I like that I can I get my checks and it's something that you know someday if if I do want to sell the asset it's not so unique you know where yes. that at one I need a certain class of buyers to buy my mobile home parks yes you know so yeah to me that was a game changer so you know thank you in person you know I really appreciate <laughs> you putting that out there dude well it's it was so fun for me when we first started talking and everything because you know people that w- when you get it it's it's like once you see it you can't unsee the opportunity mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like oh man i get it and uh, this play of finding looking at it like a business where you're like the business operation side of this is failing and i don't need that all that capital expenditures and i'm going into a market and particularly smaller third tier markets starting out where there's high cash flow, there's low options for the seller. So we can get creative financing, things like that. But also it's, there's no competition in that market mm-hmm. as far as good performing businesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the upside is almost exaggerated to me. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was weird. Cause like, like, like you said, you got started in, and I, and I tell people this a lot, like if you're looking for operators, to invest, you know, people like, you know, Jeremiah, me that went through 2008, like we're a different class. Mm-hmm. Like you learn things <laughs> for us that were in business and investing and things and had to go through that, that uh, a lot of people in today's age, particularly in storage, you know, you know they just don't even understand. Mm-hmm. It's they don't, they have no, and all they've been is in a 10, 12 year straight up market. Oh yeah. Right in the way. Yeah, right in the way. Exactly. It's gone nothing but gone straight up. Everybody's yeah. a genius. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's it, like when we were talking, you could see that you saw the opportunity, you saw the pe- potential in those assets. And it was it was just it was awesome for me to get to work with you and see everything that you've done because you're absolutely crushing it. But I love your experience that you had going through that time. Because you know we're basically the same age. I went through that time. And for us, too, we were young when we went through that time. So not that it's scarred, mm-hmm. but those aren't memories that are going away. No, no, <laughs> so no, no, no. No more couches. No, yes, yeah. exactly. And it was like, I want to. But also, it didn't stop us. No. I know a lot of people that it killed them. As in, they're just like, I'm not doing anything ever again. Yeah. I'm, I've got my job. I'm done. I'm never buying a house. I'm never doing anything ever again. Because they learn the lessons but then they never used those lessons, mm-hmm. which when you have operators that went through times like that, what they learned from that to take that into crisis mode is I, I just like it, it's not replaceable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They know what to do. Yeah. And two, they looked at those assets. And I know you do just like I do. Every time we're looking at a deal, oh, the market's so hot because right now in in, in self storage it's at a feverish point. Mm-hmm. The market's so hot, this asset class is never in. And then we hear things in the market, like I know you do, we do. It, you know, it's recession proof. Right. It never goes down, and it's like that trauma kicks in, right? Of two thousand and five, right. flashback. That's a flashback. <laughs> like, don't say that. That's not how it works, right? But because of that, we look at those assets, and instead we say, when it goes down or when things go south, mm-hmm. how's this going to play out? How are we going to work around it? Mm-hmm. And it, I, I view it as, you know, you're out there creating and building something that'll last, mm-hmm. no matter what. It'll mm-hmm. stand the test of time. And uh, I. You know, through our talks and everything that you've mentioned, you know, we talked about this last night and, uh, you know, I brought it up again to you today because I, I think this is so key. There's certain investment firms, there's certain operators and particularly people that are new in the business that the asset isn't the product. 
the investor is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they make their money on the investor, yeah. not on the real estate. 100%. And that investor is those people's product. Mm-hmm. They need to sell the investor to make the money. But there's other operators, particularly those that have been around and been in other asset classes and been through that crunch, where they look at it and say, no, the, your investors that you have, they are coming along for a ride and a journey of profitability and long, sustainable growth. But they're not the product. They are a means for you to do what you're already doing. That's right. And the product is that asset class. Mm-hmm. And those fundamental differences, and, and these may seem small, but you can see it. And I can see it from people that are building and have started building. And it's been interesting seeing people that are just getting into the game compared to you that have been in the game and what you've done differently. And you've been able to grow all over the place. I mean, how many facilities are you at now? Mm-hmm. I, I, we're at 150 million in assets, you know, yeah. with, with parks uh-huh. and storage. Yeah. And you're, you're doing conversions. Mm-hmm. You're, you're building a lot. Mm-hmm. You're add on, but you know, you've done it in such a sustainable growth. You know, I, th- I think that's just awesome. And when you're looking at when choosing all these deals, you have this great background experience. What are you looking for? Like, yeah. I think that's what people that are now getting into the game. Yeah. So we talked about people that are now getting in the game. They need to learn the lessons from you. They need to learn lessons from these operators that have failed, mm-hmm. that have not always been successful because the market just simply made them successful, right? Yeah. So what do you look at when you're coming into these, like any product type in general, but specifically storage, what are you looking for? Yeah, I- to, and to address what you said, because it's a really important point, that, that especially at this timing in the market, right? Yes. Where, where the asset values are through the roof, rates are extremely low, uh, equity is really cheap out there. A lot of investor capital is chasing crazy yield, any yield, any yes. dependable yield, right? And then traditional commercial real estate assets, office, retail – uh, it's all been shifted, flipped upside down. Yeah. Right. So, so we're the gyms, you know. Yes. We're, we're the pretty lady yes. at the dance. Finally, yes. you know? finally. Like, uh-huh. you know, we got no 100%. respect. You know, 10 That's years right. Ago. No respect, yeah. and now everybody wants to dance <laughs> yeah, with us. Yeah. So, to, to answer your question and, and to address what you just said is, you know, for me, the trauma was so real, losing it all and being bootstrapping it for so long and having to rebuild that, you know, protection of the downside. You know, I I consciously made a choice to get into manufactured housing and deal with the issues that I have to deal with because not one retailer, not one office tenant, not one industrial tenant controls my destiny. Yes. Right. It's a commodity based asset. You you put it so well in your book. You know, it's a box. It's a high quality box. Perception is reality. They look at it. If 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 their stuff looks safe, it's convenient. Boom. They're going to do it. Yep. You know, so so I, I can move the needle quick. Yes. So, so that if so I can control my own destiny, you know, yes. it, it, I don't care about investors. I don't care about anything else. I just want to control the asset in my destiny first. Yes. Right. So so I got into that and I thought, you know, as we get to the stage of scale and raising funds, you know, I respect guys like you and your firm because you're an operator first, you know, and your yep. book explained it and, and it helped me be a better operator for storage. So, so the, I respect the operator where, but you can't always think like the operator. I mean, we we're a fund manager now, yep. you know, we're syndicators and you, mm-hmm. you're a CEO, you run an organization, Yes, you scale. But, but as the operator, I know the fundamental aspects of the business. You know, yes. I know what moves the needle. I know what my customers want. I know what, I know how to tailor my staff to make sure that I provide the best experience to, for the customer and the asset. Yes. So, so that alone, you know, for me, you know, like looking at funds or investments, I want to know these guys know the intrinsic value of the assets and yes. the business underneath it, right? Yes. So, so, and then at th- then we're fundraisers, right? Yes. So, so After. yeah, yeah. Yes. So, because so because I see guys that I'm selling some stuff to at my portfolio level, buying mobile home parks. Yeah. And, and one, I'm like, how are these guys penciling them out? How are they going to get a return for their investors? And then two. You know, really, do they truly understand the business? Like when they get into this, the cost of managing the assets and and the cost to reinvest in your team and your system to go do deals, the machine itself, you know, can these guys afford that? No, they can't afford it. I mean, the underlying, it's, it's a big... Ponzi scheme. You got to keep raising yep. more money, more money, you know, keep buying more assets, get yep. more fees, and then you keep your 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 uh, shop afloat. Exactly. You know, I I can't tell you how many shops that I know, um, mostly younger shops, things like that, that literally they don't it, they cease to exist unless they have the fees from the next deal. That's it. And like people don't understand that in the real estate world that so many of these firms. Or like you said, it, it's Ponzi scheme has a bad name, but it is in, 
in essence, a Ponzi scheme. We only work unless we, if we sell another thing to come in and bring that money in. The moment it stops, we are not self-sustainable and it all comes crumbling down. Yeah. And that is actually quite common right now. We see this a lot and that's scary to me. I know people that have twice the amount of people working for them than we do, yet they're doing the same thing. And it's because they have this ginormous amount of people that like, get a deal, get a deal, get a deal. You have to get a deal because if not the whole entire, it all, it all shuts down. And the way that you build the firm is very, very important. The way that the firm's culture is and how that product is viewed and those firms that are more like Ponzi schemes, the product is the investor and you are a centrally, centrally integrated company. Yes. So you have management, you have all that stuff. So your assets and your management company has to be self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how, you know, we are, that's how we grew. Now there's arguments to say we could have grown much, much bigger and which I agree. Me too. Yeah. Like we, I agree, mm-hmm. but maybe it's the crash inside us that says, and for me, the moment I started taking other people's money, I'm like, hold on, this is a different game. Yeah. When it was my money, I'll risk it. Sure. I'm okay doing that. Like I, I'm okay limiting risk, my own capital, and say, I know that I'll, I'll, I'll risk this million, mm-hmm. right? That, that's totally fine with me. And I do that. Tech companies, different things like that, which I don't even expect a short-term return anything. But when it's investors' money... No, I'm not going to grow the company that it has to survive off new investors. And, you know, you've taken a very similar approach in how you do it, which when you're looking at the overall, uh, I think when I look at the end result from different firms and different ways you can do it, when you look at your end result, meaning for the investor, are you getting it, it? Have you changed by doing it differently? Have you changed the returns or the the, uh, safety Mm. of the individual investment. And what you find is people that are centrally integrated, they have already spent years putting an emphasis on the operations. So their assets yield much higher return than the firms that may be bigger, have lots of deals Mm -hmm. and get really... uh, either, I don't want to say flashy, mm-hmm. but right, they're, they're, they're attracting all these investors because that's where the emphasis is put. That's the culture. Mm-hmm. We get investors, we put a product, and now we make our money. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, when you start out from scratch, when you're starting out with these small properties in yeah. third-tier markets, yeah. when you're trying to do it, like you have to put the emphasis on operations because if not, you die. That's it. There's no one there to bail you out. No. There's nothing coming in. Right. And uh, for anyone starting out that's listening to this, Think about that. How you build is important. How your firm gets revenue right. is very important. Right, right. Is your revenue from the asset or is it from fees from investors? Right. And uh, is that sustainable? Because this won't continue. No. Where we're at in the market cycle, it won't. It never does. I don't know how. I don't know when. That doesn't matter. But I do know that it, it won't. I underwrite at vacancies that are more normal. We underwrite at revenue increases that are not the last two years, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we see a lot of that changing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how are you looking when you're underwriting deals now? Yeah. Talk to us about deals that you try to avoid and deals that you say, okay, these are ones that are a go for me. You can't, I, <laughs> he brings up so many good points that I, I got to address <laughs> what you, t- you yeah, say go first. Go so, yeah. so, so um, t- what, what I really get out of what, what, how, what you were just articulated right there is, n- is number one is the discipline approach to it's so damn attractive to pump money, to raise money and pump money and scale up your company because uh, it, perceivably assets, they just keep going up. Yes. Right? And it's, it, it's a no brainer. You got the size, you get the scale, you get the fees, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're a player in, in the market. Yep. But to have uh, the discipline approach not to do that, uh, and I see you do it for me to do it and the merit of the deal itself uh, to be able to generate the returns on the project level, therefore, in turn for your investor, you know, that's that's something that is, it's not easy to do yeah. as you shift from being, you know, CEO or actually running your company and trying to grow your company versus uh, a guy that that's just doing a deal, you know? Yeah. So so I think it's to be said that um, there, there still isn't, though, the hope that if I'm not cash flowing, and we have some drop in vacancy, we have to adjust rates, there will be a, a chance when, uh, there will be an opportunity in the market where you cannot sell the asset and, and you save the day. You yeah. know, you cannot yep. dump it on the market to some yep. guy, you know, some, 
California crazy buyer or yep. some private equity fund or some REIT where you still look like a genius and you operated the thing like crap. Yeah. And it's going on like crazy like right crazy. now. Like, and, and a lot of these people either don't remember, don't know what it feels like when capital leaves. So when, when we're in an economy where we are just throwing trillions of dollars around. Like, it, it's just nothing. Yeah. Like, we talk about, wow, the economy's doing so good. Well, it should because we're just handing out money, hands <laughs> of fists. We're just literally pumping trillions in the economy, right? And the reverse of what we see today is what we saw in 08. Yeah. And that's when capital left for, by trillions. Oh, yeah. It evaporated. Yeah. And what that means is when you're, like, you're talking about when it comes time that, oh, crap, this isn't working out. I need to sell. There's no one to sell to. That's it. Capital's not there anymore. That ship doesn't turn around easy. It does yeah. not and, turn and around easy. People forget. Yeah, real estate is not liquid. I it's mean, that's not that, liquid that, at that, all. I mean, the returns are great and the cash flow is yep. great. But yeah, once that boat turns, and when you've got equity tied up in a deal or you're servicing debt that you don't have the income on, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a tough place to be. You guys don't, oh, don't remember that. I got to tell you, in 2009, uh, 10, 11, like when we were buying properties, it was. This is what I'll give you. <laughs> and, well, I want this. I don't care what you want. This is what I'll give you. And we're the only other person with yeah, money. Yeah. So they'll take whatever they Six can get. Six months later, oh, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Because there's no money out there. That's right. And we're in a position in those times when we do have capital, our, our capital, we have to be super careful with it. So I'll give this to you. You could take it or leave it, and I'll go on and find another one. That's right. So it's not even that you're taking advantage of the opportunity. No, that's not it at all. It's your, your, the asset changes. So at times like this, the asset is real estate, but when it goes in the downturn, the asset is the cash. Yes. And so for me to buy a property in a downturn, I have to give up my asset. Your, your asset isn't really that valuable anymore. Right. Right. But my cash is super valuable. So it's inherent that you have to say, no, you have to really come down here. And that suction that happens with capital and the economy, it just sweeps people off their feet. We felt it. We know. Yeah. There's the opportunity. Yep. And to, to set the record state. And I know straight, you, you agree with me in this sense, I think is that there's nothing wrong with fees. Charge fees, no, right? No, no, I charge right, right. fees. Yeah, we, we all charge I, yeah, fees. Yeah, we all charge. I, I need to get paid for what I'm doing. And the amount of work that it takes to do what we do is astronomical. That's right. Like, it's to, to find the deals that we find, to find, find like, I can't even, it, it takes so much work. We have, what do we have, six employees just on the front end, not management, nothing else like that, just on the, to find a deal and get it funded. That's it. It's, and we're, we're hiring at nauseum. I mean, we're every single we're expanding or doubling our office or whatnot just because it is so costly to do what we're doing. That's right. But if we didn't do a property tomorrow, I'm not walking over to Connor here or to anybody else and saying, sorry, we can't fund the place. That's you right. Know I mean? no, 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 no. That's not how it works at all. Yeah. It's hey guys, we're slowing down, so let's figure out how to maneuver and what we need to do, right? But it's I, we're not handing out pingsums. We're not laying people off, right? Same here. I'm in the same boat, and I think that the 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 true value of what we do it is in building up our private equity firm. Yes. So so the real value is in the machine itself. Yes. You know you know Blackstone doesn't sell. The value is not in all its underlying assets. No, it's, it's in it's, Blackstone. It's in that's right. It's in the talent. Yeah. It's, it's in the machine. It's in the systems itself. So operators like us and alternative asset classes, which in a, it's a very premature industry in both, you know, yes, in, in, in parks and storage, where a lot of uh, sophisticated guys have entered the space because they see the intrinsic value of it. But the, with, a, with a real, real lasting, sustainable value that generates returns for investors is we take these fees. You build a software that you manage, you control. You know, yep. I, I, I have a sales staff. I have a, a self-managed management company, yep. you know, a, a brand. I mean, we pump money back into this talent, you yes. know, an accounting department, a, a, a finance department. Yes. We, you know, this is operations department. So this machine is really the durable aspect of our business when, you know, markets going to go up, they're going to go down. Yep. But that, that's where we really capitalize. 100%. But what I love right now is that we, you said, what, what do I look for in a deal? What do I not look for in a deal? So, you know, reading your book, doing what I did in parks, recognizing, you know, where is the value in the marketplace where I can do something different so that I'm not competing on the same level as everyone else, right? What do I, yes. how can I find my niche? How can I differentiate myself? How can I play to my strengths? My, my strengths weren't raising capital. My, my strengths 
weren't like being a networker with a lot of people. Yeah. But, you know, I, my strengths were you know uh, buying mom and pop's asset, assets in good, stable, blue collar, decent markets, adding value, and then selling it for a profit. You know, yeah. recognizing that value. So what I when I saw storage in this opportunity, we we go out there and instead of just buying the same old mom and pops with a, a smaller asset doing some repairs, you know, we we went out there and developed. And yes. I'm devel- and that's where the real value is right now is that that these REITs they don't want to go in that space. Yes. You know, it's not big enough for them. They don't have the demographics that they want, the population, the income, all the you know traffic counts, whatever they have in their metric. But we go out, we say, okay, well, we'll you know, we personally guarantee on recourse, we're going to go get debt. We're, we're going to locate yep. the spot. I'll deal with the zoning. I'll deal with all, yes. all the headaches. Uh, you know, I'll fight through the barriers of entry, and then I'll put a real good product out there because I know the areas yeah. really well. And then I'm going to serve the customers because the demand's there. We already have the metrics. We already own other facilities in the regions. Yeah. So we have the proof of concept. Yep. So it's like now, now it's time where, you know, good, someone else come in and compete. It doesn't matter to me yeah. because right now it's like I'm willing to uh, i'm already way ahead of the curve yes i I did all the work up front yes i'm gonna put the product out there i'm gonna lease it i can discount the rates i control the construction i watch every single cost so i can't scale though that way i can't scale to the point of having a 300 million dollar fund yeah you know my next funds i'll be raising 25 50 million dollars yeah and then but i i don't have to go i i call it when i need it so and and if i want to do a development uh, i call it we build it and the expectation is two to three years minimum before we get a payout yeah but at the end of the day we have a a a class a if you can call it that in a tertiary market but a really quality asset brand new very dependable predictable you know there's still under eight square feet per person in my area and and that's going to be there in a long long term so you know what is it it's 2021 i'm calling it now just like I did on the storage space, you know, 10 years, I mean, in the uh, mobile home park space 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I got into it, that, and I think you would agree, I mean, you, you've, you've shared it with me, REITs will come to our space. They will. They, they will. Private, real, yep. real, institutional players will come out and say, well, shoot, we're missing out on yield over here. Yep. We, we developed core markets. We tap that space. It's all there. But there's also a lot of money to be made in tertiary markets, too. And they'll understand the asset class enough because now they've been in it long enough to where they can. Right. So, like, because you talk like how juvenile storage is. And you're talking about most of these, we have to remember, institutional grade funds, um, everything from private equity, hedge funds to institutional banks, investment banks, right? They didn't really get into this space until after 2010. Yep. So you're talking about 10 years that they've even been in the space. Now they're looking, they've saturated all these first tier markets. And more importantly, though, like what makes you able to do what you do is because you mentioned it and and the institutions are following you, right? And they're following me and they're catching up because as you did, you were talking about how, oh, I have assets here. I understand the cost. I understand the expense ratios. It allows you to find that opportunity, but precisely underwrite it, right? I know my expenses exactly. I know what I know for every dollar of marketing I spend, how many units I can get sold. Yeah. I know all of that. So underwriting, it's, uh, uh, it's not guesswork anymore, no. right? So your risk has just dropped substantially. So you can develop in, in these different markets and be massively successful, and you get to participate in the high yield of them not being in the first-tier markets. Right. Well, the institutions, they're getting the experience. They're starting to see this and learn, and they're really waiting for third-party managers as they move out right. to follow the tails of them, right. and they're getting comfortable enough to where they can tell the third-party managers, I want you to move out, and they will because now the third-party management companies and the REITs, they have the uh, capital that wants to go out, right. and they're going to go. Right. They're going to get paid on it, right? right? And so I could not agree more. They're, we're going to see – well, perfect example. Look at Boise, Idaho. Yeah. Up until, what, three years ago? We had no REITs in this market, mm-hmm. and now wow. we have the all biggest of them. REITs. Yeah. yeah, wow, all of them wow. in, in this market. It took till just three years ago, and you got to remember, this is the fastest growing city in the nation. Right, right. We have the highest income increases per capita in the nation. It is. This is. Yeah, we are a smaller market, but. I mean, we've got almost a million people here in this valley, and it's boomed and it's non and been nonstop, and it still took them that. 
So as these, and, and I think, you know, the important thing here that you're talking about and when we're saying is as these move out further to the market, we see the following happen. We see compression and cap rates. You have more capital that is now chasing deals. So your valuation of your assets skyrocket, um, not only because of the cash flow, but two, you got to remember that when we talk about institutional money, you're talking about huge money. Like you're talking about hundreds of millions in cash, Mm -hmm. not assets, Mm -hmm. like cash. Well, the little money per se, Mm -hmm. that is only tens of millions or under a 200 million in Mm -hmm. cash, Mm -hmm. they're going to get pushed out first. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to gobble up family offices, billionaires, everything like that. They're going to want to gobble up the third tier markets because they can no longer participate in the first tier market. So they start and then the institutional comes and you just see that increase mm-hmm. um, in those asset values. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, yeah, it's, it, I think we're already starting to see it and I think it'll only speed up. Mm-hmm. But I think last night when we talked during dinner, I think a good point that we, we both are on board with is that underutilized markets are around, like where there's a lot of opportunity is still around resort markets, you know, lakes. You know, ski resorts, yes. uh, mountain biking, you know, places, especially with COVID and people, you know, uh, where I'm originally from and where I do a lot of business, Vermont is booming right now. You know, yeah. so people from New York, people from uh, Massachusetts, uh, I, I'm not, I don't want to create more competition, but I'm just saying that yeah. there's markets all over the country where on paper, as we were saying, they don't look like the demographics don't look great, you know, yeah. Yeah, but but if you have 30 or 40 rentable weeks a year with summer and, and winter and you have, you know, uh, 30 different families coming in Airbnb in, and everybody's got a snowmobile, everybody's got ATV, everybody's got mm-hmm. uh, kayaks and boats and uh, they want a truck or whatever it is, you know, uh, to me, you don't really hear any of that in the space yeah. and you don't see any quality product in that area. So I think, you know, whoever's willing to go out there and, uh, and find land. And, and take a risk on this this opportunity, I believe, and that I'm putting my money where my mouth is because I'm taking yeah. a lot of it, is I, I think that that's a sustainable market where there's still a lot of pent-up demand that's truly untapped. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And we, you know, we had a great discussion on this last night. And one of the things that we saw um, – so you remember when we were looking at the resort town, Connor, we, mm-hmm. we were – when we first looked at it, we're underwriting it, we were like – I've never seen so much storage per capita. We're yeah, like, it looked not, insane. looked insane. Right. We're like, we're right. not going here. And then we started looking more at the market. We flew in and me and Connor went and toured it. And we went to all the facilities. And you had a facility that had just been built. It was the year prior. And they had zero units. None. Yeah. And yeah, we were occupancy like, was just through the roof. Through the everywhere roof. you went, and yes. this wasn't during COVID. Yeah, like this like, is this was like two years ago. And right, small, like a decent sized project. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, oh, yeah this yeah. was. We're talking eighty thousand square feet. Oh wow! And what we found was when we came back and looked at the market that you have to remember is that most of the people that utilized that storage weren't from there. So the demographics and everything looked skewed, but the occupancy and the demand was actually there yeah. to a huge degree. It was. Really, like, it was like, wow. In fact, we were in another market. So me and Connor had just left um, another market that was bigger and had only six square feet per capita. And it was much bigger. And it was had colleges in it and everything else. We'd left that market walking away going, we got to stop this building project we're going to do. This won't work out. Mm-hmm. We were like, this. Th- there's <laughs> so no crazy. demand here. And then we're like, well, yeah, since we're on our way there. back, we're like, yeah. we'll just stop by. Right. Right. It was literally yeah. like, we're like, check it out. <laughs> we'll check it out. And uh, it was just eye opening to us. It and, was. And the rates, right? I mean, those oh, are the yeah. rates. Are the rates are great. Yep. Yeah. You know, they, it pencils out nicely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you can get another thing, like, I think about areas like in Idaho that are resort towns, things like that. Like, you have Sun Valley. And you go to those markets and the nature of them, you have rents that are like L.A. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it's bonkers. Yeah. Because there's limited supply. Uh, there's actually not a lot of opportunity to build, expand, things like that. But also the people that are there, they're coming from bigger markets. These are people that have second homes or a lot of vacation time. Mm-hmm. So they're not nearly as sensitive to price pricing, right? They're, they're very inelastic in, in, in their choices. So they're matching rates that are more like first tier markets, mm-hmm. even though it's like, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's this weird thing mm-hmm. that, you know, I think is 
you've done a great job in it. We haven't, to be totally honest, because it was like, you know, one of those things. I'm like, man, how do we, because we're getting different things like that. But, well, I, I guess that's wrong, because Coeur d'Alene, we went yeah. in the, into Coeur d'Alene a long time ago, and that's primarily a tourist destination. Yeah, yeah, I would say Coeur d'Alene would, would definitely suffice, not to the degree of what we were yeah. looking at before, initially. Yes. It's, yes. it's definitely more consistent in Coeur d'Alene. But uh, yeah, and then the other thing too is like those those major arteries, like we've got a project on a major artery going to those recreational yes areas mm-hmm. you know yes. whether it's going to places like a sun valley or a whatever it is and it's on the edge of a market where it i mean analytically it might look kind of crappy yeah. but at the end of the day again massive demand mm-hmm. and you can actually go there develop you can acquire you can do whatever you want there and be hugely successful yeah. hugely and i think why you've done a good job and why we've been able to take advantage of some of those um was because when you talked about how you're set up we could look at it very differently. Like, so, you know, I always look at people are like, oh, so could you tell me your buying criteria? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of hard for me mm-hmm. because they're like, well, X fund has a buying criteria of this many, this much square foot, and this happens. And I go, but demand doesn't care about their buying criteria. Right. That's <laughs> right. not how it works. Right. Just like the last example we gave six feet to 33 square feet per capita. Yeah. Yet one, the six feet one had no demand. And the 33 square feet per capita had astronomical demand. Dude, that's and such a good case study of that is. situation and that scenario and why your criteria, you need to have it, but it also needs to be dynamic. Dynamic, exactly. Right. You know? I love that. Yeah. It's exactly right. And like, I think it's much more important to understand the drivers of the demand mm-hmm. than it is to understand what is acceptable or, or numbers. Mm-hmm. And we get that question a lot. I know, I mean, Connor, do you probably do too. What, what square foot per capita are you looking for and everything. Now, there are general rules. If I'm looking at general market, things like that, we we don't want to be in an oversaturated market, but we don't have necessarily set. We will go into markets that have more or less or because it really depends on the drivers. And because you understand and you're managing the storage facilities, you've you have data. Like we know what happens when a storage facility in a certain amount of town with certain demographics and a certain makeup is built next to another storage facility we have. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. We've lived it. Right. We know what square footage looks like. Like a lot of people getting into self-storage, they go and they look, okay, well, this one has demand because once again, there's, there's six square feet. This one doesn't because there's 20, but they don't even know what it means. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, and so then they go into a market and then they're shocked at why it's not performing well, or they're shocked at why, you know, somebody else built a storage facility and they thought it could sustain mm-hmm. it and, mm-hmm. and all those things. And the it, other thing to that too, is that that percentage increase of, of supply on the market, again, in those tertiary markets, those smaller markets, where I know you've talked about this on the podcast before, but that's a massive factor in whether or not massive. those things are going to be going to be successful or not. Because a lot of people, I don't think it, just like what you said, they're just looking at what's, what's there. Oh, great. Things are going great. I'm going to throw a hundred thousand square feet, but not taking into account that that's a 50% increase of storage supply on that entire market as a whole. And what, I mean, you can't accurately underwrite that or or project that out. And that's the, that's the double-edged sword for me right there is that I can't scale in the region that I'm at or on that platform of resort market servicing those types of customers uh, where I'm going to be able to do 100,000 square foot deals. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, so so I, you know, my threshold when you asked me that was it's got to generate 20 grand a month at some level. And and I got to be at 30, you know, roughly 30,000 feet or so with upside. You got. I gotta get up. So I gotta get it to fifty, sixty thousand square feet for for the asset to really fit in the portfolio to justify it going into the whole system at this point. So, okay, this is a really good thing I want to ask you about. You're right now in the middle of really scaling up. Like, I think you're. You know, you're at a point. So, how does that change from when you got started and what you were originally doing to right now? Like, how are your decisions? changing and, and what you're going to do and what you're willing to do. Yeah, yeah. With, with this business, uh, just uh, your company, my company, our full-time focus is sourcing deals, uh, finding markets we want to be in, developing in those markets, deal flow, right? So so for me, it, it's a tough transition where I was so used to, you know, I, when I started in manufactured housing, I, I sourced 80, 85 deals to that to those guys in less than 10 years, or that was like six, seven years. So deal flow was my whole game, you know, and, and if there was a margin on it, I could make a fee or I could be a partner. I wanted to do the deal. Now, at this stage, 
I look at the bigger picture. So number one, it's like, what what is the opportunity cost to get into this, right? What what yes. is how heavy of a lift is this? Yes. And there's some, I'm still doing some some heavy lift stuff with like I told you. I'm, Buying an airport in in, in, yes. uh, in Vermont where I'm going to repurpose this airport to a master plan where it's storage and warehouse and uh, and then some uh, uh, seasonal rentals. So there is that, but leave that where it is. You know the portfolio can't be built on heavy heavy lifts yeah. anymore. Yep. So for for me that my my criteria has changed where I have to say no. Right? Yes. I have to say no a lot more. I know you do too. Yeah. You know and and I love a quote by Buffett is the richest people in the world they have such a defined niche that they say no more than anyone else. They yes. rarely say yes. yes. So for 100%. me I don't I, I don't want to take on individual partners anymore. You know, I have to keep it in the fund model so that I have a, a platform where it's the same state it's the same uh template where someone invests it's the same template for everybody out there no unique deals yep you know and then what else changed was the assets themselves it has to be like we said a, a minimum size where you know if i can't create and it's smaller than yours where i can't create a million dollars in the next three years in value you really i can't do it yeah you, can't, do it you know because by the time you pay realtor fees and if you adjust for the market shifting mm-hmm. you know that million's the bare minimum yeah and two, opportunity cost for you. Yeah. Because you're allocating resources differently. Yes. And, you know, we're the same way. We look at, you know, one of the things that has uh, just shocked me about this year is how many deals we've done. But even more shockingly is how many we said no to. Yes. And we were in our meeting, I think it was yesterday, uh, Brian, who heads up our acquisitions, where I was looking at the number of deals that they underwrote this week, and it was like 30. And... I was sitting there going, I wonder how many deals we underwrite to get to one buy. And I'm like, it's got to be like 100 plus of actually mm-hmm. underwriting. Yeah, right. This is yeah, like run, they, run. they met our qualifications. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going into it. This yeah. isn't all the deals that we've looked at and decided right off the bat. No. Right. That's a huge number. Right. Um, but the opportunity cost is a big one for it, us. It is. And it has to be taken very seriously. Yes. Um, because it, I think it comes to this idea of quality versus quantity. Yes. And by quantity, I mean uh, not quantity in doors because your your average transaction is going up as far as number of doors that you're doing. Right. But the number of transactions is going down. That's right. And I think that's very key to scale. Your average transaction goes down but the average of units per transaction goes up. Yes. Dude, I love and that. That's so, such a clear like way to to put that. Yeah, for people to understand that, I love it. It yeah. is. It, it, and for where where I've evolved to, and is saying, okay, uh, my sweet spot right now is on development is the four to seven million dollar range. So sing, still single story facilities. I'm not doing tons of multi story. Even on my conversions, I'm buying between. I mean, we'll hit the, the, the six, seven million dollar mark, but then you know, putting in three million in, in conversion uh, capex. So you know, I'm I'm in that three to ten million dollar range. It's crazy that that's considered small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and Just, in yeah. Like, the whole scheme of it yeah, all, yeah, it's right? Crazy. But when you it's look crazy. at raising money and 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 the the industry as a whole, you know, you're that those deals. Um, you know, I hear some of the deals he's doing and. You could see how you buy a 30, 20, 30, $40 million real estate deal and you move the needle and you create 20, $30 million in wealth or 10 mm-hmm. or $15 million. I mean, it's appealing to these institutional guys, yes. right? Uh-huh. And if they, you know, like the whole model we said, they're making money on fees and there's professional management at that level. It's yeah. a lot heavier of a lift and you can really scale up your private equity company. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you talk the talk, you walk the walk, yeah. you got the right packages, you, you with the right group of friends and the right network, you scale that sucker big yeah so for me it's like i i've always been um wanting to one not have my break even so far out there where i'm putting my money to build a 20 million dollar deal and these things need to line up and i gotta ra- go out and be a full-time fundraiser in order to hit these returns to to, to, to scale up and be a true player yeah but but here i know I, I can hit these base hits all day Break yep. evens, nice and low. You know, I can adapt the, the elasticity on the pricing, the yes. management, the the amenities that we offer. We can we can make sure we get this thing stabilized real real quick. Yeah. So for me, it's a very conservative approach. But on the flip side, is you, you you're not going to get the the size deal. So so yes, there's the threshold of 
you know, nothing under really two million bucks, uh, and that sweet spot's three to seven million bucks when on my ground up. It's just in these smaller markets that yeah. I know where I'm not going to saturate it double the size, like yeah. you mentioned. And then, uh, and, and you know, look at some bigger projects. But now, I, I this is very predictable for me. So, and it, and it will meet the needs of my investors. But honestly, I think capital. There's so much damn capital out there in our space relative to other asset classes. You can't even place it fast enough. Yeah, you can't. I mean, it, it, responsibly. Yes, responsibly. Yeah. yeah, I told you about that deal that we just lost out on in our market where we were the highest offer and we know the deal. It's literally in our backyard. We knew the deal beyond uh, like in and out. Like mm. We have assets around <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And we came in and we were the highest price because we knew our levels, what we could do, where we could get it, mm -hmm. and we could make that work out of that yield. Um, the day of when they were deciding, they got an offer in from someone that had one storage facility, but their family made money and dude, it's a totally different industry. So mm -hmm. they're very novice at best. And it came in higher than ours at a 14-day close. Yeah. They, Dude, was it even 14 days? I don't even. It, the, I so think it, it was, was like, seven that they, the seven and the yeah. money was hard. Oh. It was a one page PSA. Oh. They basically couldn't back out of it. Wow. They'd never seen the deal. Scary. They'd never seen it. Scary, dude. And then they had to close the next oh. week. Oh. And yeah, it, like and the PSA literally wasn't even one page. It was, you're going in, your money's hard. I think they had a due diligence period of seven days, but I, I don't even think they could get their money back. Because the, the the guy's like fourteen days, then you're risking that capital, and they did. They bought and closed Man. fourteen days. Man. I've never seen that before. It's bonkers. That's telling. That's telling, in the That's yeah. telling yeah. where we're at. Yeah. And remember, they gave that offer and signed the PSA. They'd never seen it. Right, and, <laughs> and we're like, see ya, see ya. Good luck. Yeah, the broker's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, the broker was like, hey, do you so yeah. do you want to you know get uh, do you want to compete with this? I'm like, compete with what? Yeah. What is there to compete with? Yeah. Like, I don't care how good of a deal that is. I I can't do even a basic due diligence to know that we're not going to get in massive trouble mm -hmm. in seven days. Yeah. Um, but that's where the market is. Yeah. And, and investing in our operations so that when things shift, we can adapt yeah. operations, come in and, you know, these uh, third party corporate big guys, you know, they're going to operate how they're going to operate. But, yep. you know, to be to maneuver yeah. when, when something changes. You know, and that's, that's that suction of capital, too, yep. because those guys that are doing that, when capital leaves the markets, they're just gone because that is all that's what they have. I have capital. Right. right. So they right. don't have the skill. Right. They don't have the know how anything else like that. It's just capital. I got to place it. And so the widespread placing of capital to try to um, get something higher than just bare bone bond yields or risk in the stock market or not having it in savings account because of inflation. So I just don't, it doesn't almost even matter at some point that all goes away. In fact, it turns whether now I can make more money in bonds. My bank cashes the asset, not real estate. So now I hold on to it. And so all capital placement companies, right? They just go away. Mm -hmm. They're gone. Mm -hmm. And people like us, right? This is what we do. We start getting ton, tons of incredible deals. Now, once again, everybody listening to it, you have to understand, I just bought 500,000 square feet and Connor's currently developing 650,000 square feet. So I don't want you to be like, yeah, I listen to this podcast and there's no opportunities. <laughs> no, I bought more deals this year than I've ever bought. Right. Yeah. right? right. And I know Jeremiah has too. He's yeah. like rocking it right now. Yeah. He's building, he's buying, yeah. things like that. But we are, I think it comes down to kind of what you talked about before and you're being very specialized in what you're looking for, yeah. what you're going after. So it's, you just clearly know that this is a good deal. And even if things change, it's still a good deal for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. You're not going to get caught. A hundred percent. And not that we wanted to go develop, right? I mean, obviously yeah. the, the, the best ROI is buying the value add, making the improvements and then getting the gain. Yes, but, but exactly. It, but we were forced into it where we're not going to overpay for assets. 100%. Yeah, so, so we, I developed. I'm developing a, a million square feet. We put out there. and uh, But the uh, we have comfort in those markets. I'm not going yeah. down south to yes. building. I'm not coming to your market in yes. Idaho and building. I don't know it, and yep. I don't want to take that risk. Yeah, you are lowering your risk for the top of the market by doing deals that you are very confident in and that you can underwrite really well and that you understand. And two, you, go, you guys got to remember that this is when we got started, 
and I didn't even know storage, that was my approach. I'm like, I get this market, this little third tier market. I understand it. Right. right? And there was so much of a benefit for turning around a little storage facility there that this was in, we're talking 2005, right? So the markets were hot then. Like they were really hot, but we could make it work and you can make it work. And storage still offers that even today. That's why you do deals. I do deals. And that third tier market play that Jeremiah is talking about here um, is alive and well. And it shocks me nonstop how well that works as far as an actual yield basis. I'm always just like, it's crazy. Like it, I, I tell people, if I were to say, okay, we're no longer going to do big deals and I had to start all over again, I could find way more deals than I could today. Yeah. We would be doing so much more because there's so much more yield. There's so much more opportunity. There's so many more of them to even acquire and buy than what we can do on big deals. Oh yeah. It's, it's way harder for us to find deals. The yield's not as high. No. It's just not. No. And it, we got to be very careful with them and it's a lot of money and there's a way more complicated. If I was starting out, there's, there's it's disproportionately amount of good deals in that range. 100%. But like I have the problem air quotation, just like you're having is it's that scaling up. It changes the economics for us to do deals. Mm-hmm. And so we have to move up into that realm. Um, so that's why we focus, I, I, I say quality, but really, I mean, size versus transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's spot on. Yeah. I, I think for the, there's no better time, even though the market, so that you said that with our, with our listener out there, like just because it, the, the market's inflated, uh, there's a lot of competition. I still believe there's no better time to still look in those tertiary markets where a guy starting out in his business can, can get five, six acres of land and be able yes. to build, start out small or build it all, yep. you know, chip away at it, learn the business. I mean, it's, it's, I believe in it. My father, I got my father to do it. He, you know, right behind his bathing <laughs> company. I said, dad, I'm doing the storage thing. You know, it's, uh, he didn't, I didn't have to tell him. He actually yeah. goes, you're crazy. And then three years later he goes, I, I got to do something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so he, he knowing the paving business, it was a no brainer. So we mm. built, you know, roughly 40,000 feet. The first, you know, we close. It, it's up in New England, so we closed the CFO. The construction was done right around November. You know how it is up there. You, you're not going to get a ton of, uh, yep. of very seasonal, out. just yeah, like here. Very <laughs> seasonal. And then he's like, ah, you know, we're 33, percent but hey, it covers my taxes. Great job, son. And then you know, this summer it's going to be 99. percent uh-huh. We already filled it. <laughs> yep. you know? So yep. he goes, how, how do we get some more of these? Yep. You know, so. Yeah. No, you that's know, awesome. And, and like you guys hinted too, as well, like as far as the opportunity right now and getting into the industry. That consolidation's happening. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Those players are moving into those markets right now. Like you said, Jeremiah, like it could not be a better time to get. No, in. no, you can ride that wave. And two, not only in, and I just thought of this, and it's really important to understand. Not only is it um, in particularly smaller markets, it's the best time to get into them because when you have a suction of capital. Right. So we talk, I talk about that just capital just sucks. It's like literally pulled out of mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it starts like in middle America and it gets sucked out to the coast. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like how I think of it because that's how it works. And when it draws out of those third tier markets, you can't get the deals done anymore. Yeah. Banks aren't going to loan you on a deal on a third tier market anymore. It doesn't matter that the deal's still 100% occupied. Mm-hmm. Cash flow hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed, mm-hmm. but the, the capital's leaving. Yeah. And so for someone to start out right now, you can get capital and you can get into those markets. Right. Like it's good markets that, you know, we have a lot of third tier markets. Now there's dangers in it in third tier markets, which we'll, we'll leave for a whole nother podcast because we've already gone like an hour. But the, um, the uh, thing about third tier markets, you, you don't get nearly as big of fluctuations. So yep. if you can underwrite it well understand the market and make good decisions. You may not have a skyrocket in valuations and things like you do in first tier markets, but you know, it's going to be consistent, right? And there's simple things you can look at. Is the population massively declining? Is it stable or is it growing a little? 
right? Is there new build coming in? If there was, how did it fill up? A little things to tell you about the market. And those things generally stay true. Right. Um, we're still, we still have assets in very third tier markets, yep. like out in the middle of nowhere yep. that we still have and own. And most of the other ones we sold off because of what we talked about earlier, but they're still performing like they did 10 years ago and they'll yeah. just keep continuing to. And yes, yeah, and that's the key. It's just know what you're getting into. Yes. So if there's a retraction in capital markets, debt gets really, really tight. Right, you know, yes. so debt markets get tight. Who knows what's going to happen? Those community lenders aren't just give, giving money out anymore. Yep. Institutional lenders aren't giving money out. Know that you're you're married to the asset. Yes, so, exactly. You know, but if you got your basis in at the right basis, is your cash flowing well? And like you said, I don't have a doubt that the dependability, the stability of the customer, the market, that's there. So there I, I yeah. believe it. They need it just yeah. as bad or more than anyone yeah. in the cities. Yeah. So, so I think that's a good point. And then the, the second point on that is when someone getting into those markets, you know, when I started out, I could buy a mobile home park anywhere in the country. Like it was yeah. pretty ubiquitous. I would say uh, even low rent markets in Louisiana, I could make work like here in Idaho, in Nampa, you know, I mean, different metrics, but still I could buy it, add value, sell it. Yes. You know, so, and that was, that was the template I did for the decade or more. And then when I got in storage though, I started to look at the economics and when I want to do value add, when I want to move the needle, there isn't that, that uh, baked in rent increase in every market. Yeah. You want, you, you, I yeah. read it in your book. I mean, uh -huh. that's exact. So, so I had to look at, okay, how do I move the needle? And I got to get in, I got to buy right one with the mom and pop, but two in markets where for me, my metric is I got to have $10 gross rents in the market. Yes. So if I have $10 a foot, you know, I, I can dip down into 30, 40,000 square feet where I'm not buying a guy's two or three rebuilding, you know, uh, storage. So, you know, when people think storage, they see in their local, their small community out there in the, in the tertiary markets, you can't buy a two or three building facility, yeah. you know, yeah. unless you're going to be able to build, you know, mm -hmm. 30,000, 40,000 feet. Yeah. And also be careful if you're in markets, like I was telling you last night in that Winnemucca, Nevada transaction that I bought for, le I think ten, less than $10 a foot. Yeah. No, 15 bucks a foot is what I got in on that for 52,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, you know? crazy and, and I could not get my aggregated rents over 450 a foot. I could not do yeah. it. That market was an island out there. You got no more than 15,000 people within yep. that region. You got two or three larger facilities over 50,000 feet, me one of them. And uh, an old man had unlimited land. He just kept building and building and building. His yep. 10 by 10 rate was 50 bucks, and he would never move the needle. So no matter if me or the regional player raised rents, it didn't. He was putting new, brand new product, tracty buildings right out there, filling them, and we couldn't move the needle. So I, I finally was able to sell the asset during COVID. And what's crazy is that when I put it on the market, like a million three, million four, it fell out of escrow four times because one, we couldn't get any institutional buyers or even yes. sophisticated buyers. Yes, I was subject to you know the the most novice buyers out there who needed SBA they didn't yep. it was a pain in the butt I but during that escrow period actually COVID increased our revenue numbers we we got the numbers up I was finally able to sell it for four hundred almost five hundred thousand dollars more than what I listed it for before COVID nice Good and deal. got out of it made a profit <laughs> looked but I mean that was ten years of work that yeah. I got my distributions just like we said I mean I I got the cash flow yeah you know so it yeah. never it never let me down that way yeah made the capital yeah. improvement but my exit event, you know, yes. I didn't get my exit event until I actually, uh, uh, till the market shifted. So you yes. got to be prepared for that, right? That's, and I, I love that. That is so important. And I tell people third tier markets, if you are planning five years, here's my exit event. The market doesn't care what your plan is in no. third tier markets. <laughs> so you cannot plan that way. And that's a reason I think why you built your company similar to how we built ours is when we started out because we were in third tier markets, first of all, it's not like we were making money on fees. And also it, there was no great exits for us to, right, right, no <laughs> to take stats. capital. So yeah. it was just cash flow, right. cash flow. Right. So every dollar we're looking at and how much can we get and how much are we spending? Yeah. And that really built the company that is surrounded on uh, cash flow, value-based investing, long-term. Yeah. Um, and that's something that has kind of gone away in the market. I it say. really has, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's the whole... Uh, tech company, uh, yes. uh, you know, evaluation method, you know, yeah. how much, how big are they? Growth. Yeah. Growth is like pornography in yes. business, it right? Is. You know, it everyone's is. excited. How big are you? What are you, you know? like how, and that's really not the metric to look by, no. look at, you know, what's profitability? What's free cash flow? Yes. What am I getting out of this deal today? Yep. You know, there is no critical mass e 
exit event that I am going to bake my my whole yeah. career on and my company on. Yeah. You know, every asset has to have its individual merit in the portfolio. Oh, every I can't tell you how many deals we've looked at. It drives me nuts. And I get people that are like, okay, well, I get a preferred return with his, and we were kind of talking about this, the deal setup overall. And they're like, and my internal rate of return is the same as this other deals with you, but he gives me a preferred return. And I go, do you know how that internal rate of return is even derived? How do they come up with it? They don't even know, right? And it comes up on a future sale that they've just written in the numbers. We're going to sell it in five years at a four cap at this revenue. That's right. And I said, that's just making stuff up. Yeah, right. That's all it is. Right, right. You're just making up numbers, and that all of a sudden dramatically shifts your internal rate of return. That's it. And I'm like, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me this get the crystal ball out. Yeah, yeah. Let me let, let me just say, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, let's just yeah, exactly. Hey, oh, up those boom. revenue numbers exactly. last three years, yeah, and then yeah. put it in a Lower that cap rate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Get that cap rate down. <laughs> right. Well, jeez, oh, we so just doubled crazy. our internal rate of return. Yeah. And these are the games we see in the market. And the last thing I want to say, which I think is really important to talk about this market, some of the things you've uh, pinpointed on, is you have to understand that um, I think public storage, I think it was public storage, had a 15% same store revenue growth. Now, let me put this in context for you. That was the same as Google. Jesus. So you can understand what's happening and why people all of a sudden are going, what? Your revenue growth was the same as Google's and your real estate? Right, right. Like people's mind just went boom. And then everybody all of a sudden was like, oh, I don't even care. I just want to own it. Because now their perception of what they're basing value on has gotten into a weird territory where they're using comparisons like Google. And you're like, what right. are you talking about? Right. Like, it's not the you same. Shouldn't, it's not the same thing. You shouldn't even look at those things. But then they start buying, and the reason they're buying is based upon, like you said, it's that growth model. And it's the, well, what we see here, and there's no reason for this to change. And like I say, I'm like, well, outside COVID, there's no reason for it to be this way. Right. So you got to really look at it and be balanced um, in today's market, 100%. just like you have. And what I to that point, it's like we... Even in the consumer's mind, right? Even in the day and age that we are, technology where it's at, consumer consumption the way it is, but still baby boomer mentality of you, you people still cling to things. Yes. There is that scarcity mentality of, at least for you know, in, people in their 30s and 40s where we, we don't throw everything away. I mean, we throw a lot, a lot more away than our parents, but we, we, we consume more than we've ever consumed in, in mm-hmm. you know, humanity, right? And with the Amazon effect to click, to, uh-huh. to get anything you want at any given moment in time and to have so much available dispense, uh, expendable income yes. on top, you know, dispensable income And the on dollar top. goes so far today it like really it does. never did. It, yeah, exactly. So it's like you, you have that whole... That whole aspect of society and this economic shift layered on top of where we're at now in the in the real estate cycle and the way capital's chasing you know deals yes. and and our asset class is no one really knows yeah what what, know. what is the real threshold yeah. of of the consumer's mentality yeah. on how much and will they can, yeah. can, will they store will yes. they throw it away We're, yeah you know or, or, we, we haven't ever seen the asset peak out yet no no and apartments are at an all time high yeah I mean all time all time and, and kids aren't buying houses you know yeah. and we're and they're not having kids that young yeah but but. So it's like, where does it all shake out right now? Everyone looks like a genius, right? So yes, like we said, rates 100%. are super low. So it's going to be interesting where, who knows? Maybe the industry does have some more lag in there where there will be more demand and supply will just fill that demand or have the balanced approach of it where I'm not rolling the dice. You know, we have sustainable supply we put out there. We put out a good product. We know where we're putting it. We we put it in a market where we can we can service that supply, where we're not going crazy, building in crazy markets, competing against crazy players with unlimited capital. And then, you know, if it shakes out where there's great demand, great, we win. If, yeah. if, if it shakes out where, you know, storage actually... You know, it's maxed out right now or, you know, the the culture dies. It dies down a little bit. You know, we're still good. So that's where it's to me. That's the fascinating aspect of it, where when I started out, I couldn't get the the mentality, even though I had a storage unit. (laughs) I I lived in an apartment in in a high rise. And I was like, uh, okay, so, you know, it's interesting where this could go. But for us, I think it's either way. 
the core for the main real estate asset classes, it's all turned upside down. All turned the whole down. shift, right? So everything. So we are, we are. I mean, to, to a degree, a core asset class. Yes, in some way, absolutely. Right. We we are. We've moved up. Right. It, it, it's definitely changed, and it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out and everything. But just like you said, we've become a core asset. Self storage isn't leaving. No, it's not going anywhere. No, that's not happening. Um, and one of that is just the perception of the market. I mean, you got to remember the first time when I got into storage, I, so I was looking for multifamily, my uh, duplexes, things like Me that too. to buy, right? And my dad goes, hey, I've got a partner and I'm going to buy this storage facility out by where I lived. And he's like, I want you to come over and look at it. That was the first time I'd ever seen a storage facility in my life. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, why are you buying this? <laughs> right. Like, it was like, what are, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, the cash flow is great. And he showed me the numbers. I'm like, oh, okay, this is now interesting. But I didn't even get it, like, at all. And so I u- ended up using it because he bought it. And I'm like, great, I can stick my stuff for, you know, me and my wife where we lived and everything. And then I went out and I, I, I got lucky. I was too dumb to know, understand real estate equity. Right. And so I was looking at small multifamily and different housing, everything like that. And I'm like, the numbers don't make sense here. How's everybody make, getting rich off this? There's no cash flow here. Right. And I was based on business. So then I just turned. I'm like, okay, dad, I can't get cash flow off this. Why don't we go buy, you know, ditch your other partner. Let's go buy storage facilities together. And we started. Yeah. And it was all based on very simple premises. It was based upon demand, cash flow. And it was based upon where we're getting our return, yep. how long, you know, all of those very fundamental things. And uh, I, I just want to say to everybody listening to this podcast is stick with the fundamentals, measure the upside as well as the downside. And you can build something just like Jeremiah's built off very fundamental principles. And it's scalable and it's, you know... I mean, what you've been able to do, especially, you know, you're coming from losing it all to this. It's pretty incredible, man. Thanks, man. And, uh, yeah. And the so. opportunity's there. It's right? there, 100%. Right? Like, like my dad says, there's never a bad time to get in business, right? Yes. It could be down. It could be up. There's always, always opportunity. You always know? opportunity. America's alive and well. Yes. You know, the dream. 100%. We buy in up markets, down markets, sideways markets. That's it. If you know what you're looking for, you're good. That's it. I love it. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on here. Oh, you tell everybody, where can they find you? Where can they learn about you? Where can they reach out? Yeah, uh, patriotholdings.com. I'm uh, the property playbook series that's coming out eventually someday, but that's it. We'll we'll have you back on when your book comes out. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. A lot of fun. We got to do this in a year or so. I agree. That'd be awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Okay. Thanks.